as we walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And I must say, I find it absolutely fascinating preaching through the Gospel of Mark again. You're right, I've done it before. But every time you come to the Word, there is new riches, there is fresh water, there is fresh bread. And it's not as if it's a new thing which is all of a sudden coming from nowhere. It's always been there. But the more you study the Word and the more you read the Word, you will find that God will open up more riches to you. And this is what I always say, you know what the psalmist say is, Open up the eyes of my heart, Lord, so that I may see your riches. Now, we saw last week that Jesus was talking, going to a, a, the, the, the fig tree. Uh, and the problem here was that the fig tree had leaves, which showed, you know, on a fig tree, if there's leaves, there's fruit. And he was sort of a hypocrite, you know, he portrayed something that he wasn't. And when Jesus came there, there was no fruit on the tree. And he said, there will be no one eating from its fruit anymore. And the next day, as you know, the tree dried up from the roots upwards. Now, I want to return one day and preach again about fruit that you and I need to bear. Uh, you remember John the Baptist, he said when he baptized people, he says, we need to have the fruit of repentance. And there's in, in Luke chapter 2 and 3, there's a beautiful passage about that. Uh, but we need to bear fruit. And this is what God wants from us. But then again, I've seen so many people who's trying to bear fruit. They work so hard to bear fruit. It's a lot of effort. You know, I'm going to be better today than yesterday. And, and, you know, I'm going to be hard trying not to do this and to be a good boy and a good girl. And it's so much effort. That's not the fruit that the Bible is talking about. You see, I never go up to a apple tree or a orange tree and I see the, the tree really working hard to push out this fruit. No, no. It's a natural progress that happened. Uh, if you cultivate the tree, if you put water in and you feed the tree, the fruit will come. And this is the same with us. It's not our fruit that we bear, it's His fruit. If you read in John chapter 15, the whole chapter, it's a very good read for you if you want to do something. It talks about the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Now again, it's not our fruit, it's His fruit that we are bearing. All we need to do is abide in the vine. And how do we abide in the vine? By prayer, by doing what you're doing now, listening to messages, by reading your Bible, by spending time with Jesus. And that refers back to Psalm chapter 1. You know, the tree that's planted by the waters, the living waters. And I will come back and preach about fruit one day. So today we continue on and we walk with Jesus. Now, we saw last week that in between the fig tree story, right in between, pressed in the middle, is what we're going to read about today. And I've given this a topic, uh, a name, this message a name. And the name is Wrong Priorities, Cleansing of the Temple. Because we can talk so much about priorities. We will see today that an establishment, and I call them an establishment, for by now they've moved away from what God uh, initiated in them. Where this establishment, they ought to serve God, but they, they had their priorities mixed up. And we will see in how our lives, and I ask you the question at the beginning of the sermon, 
Is your priorities right with God? I ask the, the preachers, the ministers, the pastors of churches, of mega churches, is your priorities right with the ministry or that the Lord has entrusted in your hands? Which is a privilege, it's never a right. And this is what we need to look after. Priorities. Because my dear friend, whether you like it or not, priorities will either illuminate you, you know, it brings you out, or it will put uh, a stress on you if it's the wrong priorities. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Matthew writes, and it's Jesus' words, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we're going to see today that people were seeking all these things first, and then put Jesus second, then put his place second. And when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the word righteousness means to live a life acceptable to him. And this is what we're going to look at today. And I want you to constantly think about this verse as we go through and talk about wrong priorities, the cleansing of the temple. So let's read on in Mark chapter 11 verse 15. And I want you to follow and listen intentively of what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to your heart. So they came to Jerusalem. This is Jesus and his disciples. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seeds of those who sold doves. First of all, if you look at this, and I've heard so many people say that Jesus went into a rage when he do this. And when you read it like that, you can say, wow, what's going on here? So in verse 16, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayers for all the nations? I want you to focus on all the nations, because that's that's important. Uh, but you have made it a den of thieves, a den of thieves. And the scribes and the pre chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. And for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out into the city. The Lord blessed the public reading of his word. Now, Matthew adds something here as well when you read the same account in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew said that there were little children also in that courtyard, in that place. And when he was doing this, that these little children were shouting out, Hosanna, the son of David. Now, remember, when he came into Jerusalem, this is what the people shouted Husanna for the one who come in the name of the Lord. Husanna to the son of David. And the, 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 the Pharisees and, and, and the chiefs, they didn't like that. Because in, in their mind it was blasphemy. Because in fact these children were saying the king is coming. And the king meant also the Messiah. And they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. And here we find these little children coming in there. And they come to Jesus and they... They sort of prompt him. They say to him, can you hear what these little children are saying? I mean, come on. Come on, you know, quiet them out because it's blasphemous. 
or you, you, you know, what's going on here? And Jesus says, yes, I can hear what they say. But he asked them a question. He says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfect praise? Oh, man. And they didn't like that. So we see here in, in, in the account in Mark that the scribes and the chief priests heard it and they sought how they might destroy him. Because they would, this would enrage them. They didn't like this, that he was doing this and saying this. Now also John, in his gospel, gives us a little bit a clearer picture of what happened here. And this points for me to the point that he didn't come in there in a rage, running in and, you know, veins is popping out in his, in his you know, ow, he didn't come like that. Because in, in John, he says that um, he was actually taking a whip. He took, he took some strings there and he started some cords and he started making a whip. So he took him some time. So he, he carefully planned what he was going to do when he made this whip. And then he went in and he whipped out the animals out of that place. And he, he threw over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of the ones who sold the doves. So he wasn't in a rage. Yes, yes, the zeal for the house consumed him. But he certainly did this. And then when he did this, they came to him again. And this is what John gives us a little bit further information here. And they said to him, because he's now as a rabbi and he walks around as if he's got authority. And they come to him and they say, by what authority are you doing this? And we are looking for a sign. Give us a sign that you've got the authority to do this. And Jesus said to them, he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rise it, raise it again. Oh man, that threw them. And this, this absolutely fascinates me because here are the people who study the scriptures. They study it day and night. They teach it. They've got a following, but they couldn't recognize him. And they couldn't even recognize what he was saying because they came back to him and said, it took us 46 years to build this temple. And you are telling us that you're going to raise it in three days. Come on. Come on. This is madness here. But you see, they didn't know they were talking about his own body. So let me just come back to what I said in verse 17. And I want to give you that as a background here of what's really happening here. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. In verse 17, Mark eleven seventeen. What does it mean for all the nations? Well, you need to understand the layout of the temple. So in the temple, there was the first courtyard which you got. And it was the biggest courtyard. In this first courtyard was the courtyard for the people. Or known in those days for the Gentiles. So in this first courtyard where the, the Gentiles, like I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. It would have been for me. I was allowed to go into that first courtyard. And from that courtyard, I could actually praise God and pray to him. Then there were a second courtyard, which is the courtyard for the women. And women could go there. The Jewish women could go into that place. And then there was a third one for the Israelis alone or for the Jews alone, I should say. And they could go into that. The, the Gentiles generally wouldn't go into that one. And then you go into the holy, in, or in, into another one where the priests were doing their work and their holy of all, holy of holies. 
Now it's in this first courtyard, the bigger one, where the Gentiles were allowed to come in. It was in this courtyard where the things were happening that we are reading about here today. And this is why it's so important when he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So we look at, at what's happening here. And let me give you again this background. So in this particular courtyard, there was a practice that was happening. And it was a very lucrative practice that's happened in that particular courtyard. And I believe that it was even approved by the priests, as we're going to see, and by the Pharisees and by the scribes, as long as everybody got their share. We will find, as we're going to go through this passage now, that these people were cheating. They were making very good money. And the priests, they were well off. In fact, uh, by this time, the high priest's name was Anas. Anas. And this was the same one that Jesus was brought for before. And he had five sons. And they just had a money racket that was going on in the temple. You see, they could say, but we've got an excuse to do this. And, and we saw in the first century and a little bit before that, and by the time, definitely when Jesus was around, this thing was happening. Uh, in fact, if you go back from between the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and you come to this time, this is when this whole racket started to happen, uh, where these things happen. Now, let's see where this started off, okay? In Malachi, in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, the priest would have said, Look, people were supposed to bring their ties to the church, their money or food or clothes as, you know, whatever it could be, the first grain. If, if I'm working, uh, you know, and I'm getting uh, um, uh, harvest in and so on, the first tithing and everything, we bring it to the temple, to the priests. And the priests would eat from that. They were allowed to do that. Even if they bring an animal to offer they were allowed to eat some of the meat of the animals and then offer some of the meat to God. So this was going on. But in Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 10, we read this. He says, bring all the dice into the storehouse. Where was the storehouse? Obviously, it was in the temple. That there may be food in my house. For whom? For the priests. And for the poor, if the priest wanted to give food to the poor. And try me now, and this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, there's certainly a blessing from God on these people who bring their tithes to the storehouse or to the temple. Now, I want to put in a disclaimer here that this is not a verse that satisfy or that gives validity to New Testament tithing, which I hear so many churches preach. And I know by now a few of those ministers will, will become really angry at me because I say this. This was instituted for God's people in the temple for his priests to live on. Now I'm by far not saying that these pastors and ministers who's full time who should live and we should look after them. By far that should happen. But it is not this verse. Okay. This was to look after the priests, the tribe of Levi, 
in the Old Testament. Different message, but I just thought I'd give you that disclaimer in there. So this was, this was the institution for these priests. And they had to live off that. We saw back in the Old Testament with Eli, uh, Eli, Eli, the, the priest, uh, back there that he, he started to eat some of the good meat. You know, it wasn't, uh, uh, by chance. He, he made sure that he lived well out of the priesthood and he became a very big man. Anyway, so this is what God instituted. But the problem was that people stopped doing this. You see, they stopped bringing their first fruits to the temple. And the priest would look at this and go, you know, we are losing here. We are losing some income. We're losing some food. It's becoming tough. So they could have easily throw this up as an excuse for the racket that's going on when Jesus walked into the temple. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 8, uh, God says it then himself through the prophet, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what have we robbed you? And God says to them, in tithes and offerings. So, and again, there's so many people, preachers today, who use this verse to play on people's conscience, to throw more money into the church for them to do whatever they want to do. Uh, I'm not that man. But anyway, here we see that, that God asked the question to his people. He says, will a man rob him? So this tell me there was a problem going on. And God had to speak to the pro- to the people through the prophet and say, don't do this. So what happened? So months before the Passover, there was a proclamation that was made to all the people that they should prepare and pay what was called a shekelin. Now the shekelin uh, was a tax which was instituted in Exodus chapter 30 verse 11. It was a censor tax. The shekelim, and, and what the, what the, uh, the uh, temples did is they sent the priests out as these money changes a month before Passover to go out to all the people and to collect the shekelim. Now the shekelim was um, used to uphold the temple, to look after the things of the temple. And it's right, you find it in Exodus chapter 30 verse 11, that God said that, you know, whenever there's a censor, a census, you need to pay a half a shekel to the temple. And that was for the upholding of this. But what did the priest starting to do? Instead of waiting for it to come, because we read in Malachi chapter 3 that people would stop doing this, they were keeping back. What did they do now? They started sending out their priests and these money changes to go and collect them. And as it gets closer to the Passover, they then used this first courtyard, the one for the Gentiles. And they brought those money changes, the priest in and put them at tables where you then had to come in and you pay that census tax. Now, here is where it really became interesting and funny and a racket. So that when they came in, what the temple did, they had their own currency, their own currency. So they will take a shekel and you buy the temple currency. And this is it, so that they could say, you know, it might take a full shekel, not a half a shekel, to get one of these shekelums, or these currencies that you get in the temple. And they were rotting people, they were robbing people for what they had to do, for the money and the taxes that they had to give. 
And these, where did the money go? It went into the temple and the priests were the one who collected this money and enriched themselves. So there was, this is, this is what was going on. Not only that, but there was also another thing that happened. They then had animals that they brought into the temple and they sell, sold these animals to people who had to do a sacrifice. Now, it's really interesting that when you see that Jesus went in and he, he chased out, you know, he whipped out all of these animals. But he says there that he threw over the chairs of the people who were selling doves. Now, if you were a Jew back in the day and you saw that happening, you would have said Jesus had no respect for people. What is he doing? But you need to understand what this meant. You see, doves were the cheapest or supposed to be the cheapest sacrifice animal that you can buy. This was for the poor people. In fact, if, if, a, if a lady had born a child, she had to offer, she had to offer two doves. One as a sin offering and one as an offering. Uh, and she had to go and buy that. And these doves were supposed to be really cheap. But what happened in Jesus' day is that these doves started to get a prime price on them. Some of these doves, even the prices were pushed up to the price of a normal animal. And this is how they wrought the people out of their money. Playing on their feelings. We need to bring a sacrifice to God. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much I save and everything, that sacrifice I'm going to do. And when people are in that state, they are vulnerable. And it happens in our day as well. I've seen it so many and too many times that, you know, ministers are playing on people. They're playing on their emotions. They're saying, oh, the God, and, you know, they use God in all of their things. And once people are vulnerable, they will give hand over everything to you just to please God. And this is what happened there. And, and when you see Jesus going over and throw over the chairs of the doves, these people would say he's got no feeling in him. He's got no emotional intelligence in him because this is for the poor people that he could do it. So what happened with these animals? How did they come there? So the Jews would come to the temple with animals, some as a sin offering. You know, the father of a, of a, of a family might have an animal there and lay his hands on the animal and then the, the, it become the animal will then be the sacrifice for the sin and be taken by the priest and they would offer it to God. And this is when they were close in the temple when they had the temple and the temple moved on. It wasn't a problem because you would have your little patch with all of your animals and you take your animal to the temple and you do it. But now by the time Jesus is walking there people were living afar off and for them to take one animal and walk all the way with the animal there, you know, there's robbers and thieves along the way. They could steal the animal. So what they did is back in their country, they would sell the animal. And they would take that money and they would come to the temple because they knew there would be animals there. And they would buy with that money the same animal and then give that animal to the priests to offer. Now, this obviously opened itself for fraud. Because what's happened is, you know, it's had to be your best animal. 
When, when I'm the father and I've got my animals, I have to inspect my animal. You know, we read all about it in the book of Exodus, the Passover. You can go back and read about it. You know, how this little animal had to live with you for 14 days and then, um, you need to, it needed to be the best of your animals. <clears throat> so these people would sell the best of their animals back from where they come from. They would come to the temple. Now, one would think, that coming to the temple, that the priests will make sure that the animals that they're going to buy is going to be to a similar standard for the one that they've sold. You know, I don't want to come to God and offer something substandard to God, but see what the, the priests did. So they would go around before the Passover, and they would buy up all of the blind, the lame, the imperfect animals at a really, really cheap price. And they would bring those animals into the first courtyard, the courtyard for the Gentiles. And they would then sell those animals to these people for more than what their perfect animal would cost. That was the rod. That was what was going on. You say, give me proof of this uh, preacher. Well, Malachi chapter 1. We learn a lot from Malachi. You need to read Malachi chapter 3 and next to, and that's what we're going to do next to, you know, the cleansing of the temple. So in Malachi chapter 1 verse 8, he says, And when you offer, talking to the priests here, the prophet speaks to the priests. He says, When you offer the blind as sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. See if your governor will like these lame animals. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. So this tells me that this is what they did when Jesus came around that day. And Jesus could see it. So they had a, a very good racket going on there. And I want to say, and this is when I thought and when I meditated upon this passage, their priorities were wrong. They were now looking after their own priorities, their own self-interest. Now, I just want to talk about us, about you and me. You know, what is our priorities? If we think about what these priests do and we think and we say, how could they do that to God? The one who loved them, the one who looked after them, the one who blessed them. How could they do this to God? Let me ask you the question. How is your priorities with God? What are you offering God? Is it your best? Or is it just a lame effort? Have you come into the trap where these people were coming in, finding excuses to rot and to, to commit fraud? So this is what happened there. So that's the background. So can you see that when Jesus came in, it wasn't just a rage, but in fact, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. We see in verse 15 again, so when they came, when Jesus went into the temple, he began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changes, these priests and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything over the over the over. Uh, through the temple. Now this is important for us to understand. You see, 
when we go back to Malachi, now I'm going to go to Malachi chapter 3, we read a really interesting prophecy. And I want to read this to you, because this is applicable. It says, Behold, this is Malachi now prophesying. This is God speaking. Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. Now we can do some checks here. To see whether we, you know, we can look at the timeline and the, and, and the prophetic clock. To see whether this is the time of Jesus. And this is a, a sure giveaway here. Because God says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. So the messenger will be, will be preparing the way before God. Before Jesus. Who was that? We know it's John the Baptist. We find evidence of it in John chapter 1 verse 22. He says, Then when these people, when the Pharisees came and asked John, Who are you? Because he made such a commotion there down at Petabara that they sent out and said, Who's this man? Go and find out who is he. He said to them, when they, they said to him, Who are you? That we may give answer to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? And he said to them, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. And another part in John, he says, I am, I'm the, I'm not the one, but after me comes, comes the one. He's the one who prepared the way. So now we know in Malachi chapter 3, we're talking about the time of Jesus. Let's read on. He says, I sent my messenger and he will prepare a way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, underline that in your Bible, will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now just stop there for a minute. What is the prophet saying? He says, you will identify the forerunner. You will identify the messenger who prepared the way. Who is he? John the Baptist. Tick, we know that. If they knew the scriptures and studied the scriptures, they should have been so excited that the Lord's coming is near. But they missed that. And now, he says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And what happened? Here we find him suddenly coming to his temple. He walked into the temple. But here is the problem. They were not seeking after him anymore. Because if they did, they would have recognized and acknowledged him. And that's a shame. All of these years, studying the scriptures, the prophets, the Messiah is coming to his temple. He walks in and they were not seeking after him. Not only that, they were not ready for him. That is terrible. They were not ready for him. Why? Because they had wrong priorities and their priorities took first place in their lives. They were after making money. They were after making the Lord's house a, a house of dens, a, a den of thieves. And this was the problem. Look at Jeremiah chapter 11, the weeping prophet, uh, chapter 7, 11. Has this house, the house of the Lord, which is called by my name, the temple, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, 
I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. You see, they were not ready for him. They've made the house of the Lord a den of thieves. That's what he said in Mark chapter eleven seventeen when he walked in and he said, The house shall be called the house of prayer to all the nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. Check! That was a prophecy back from Jeremiah. And he uses that same words when he said that. And sadly, I must say today that it's the same in many churches today. Now, I might enrage a few people, but I just want to say beforehand, that's not the purpose of this message. It's not to make you angry and mad, but I'm going to say a few things which I absolutely stand by. When I look at some churches today, it is that the focus is no longer on seeking Jesus. And the church today are not ready for Him. Or I, I should say, and there are churches who are not ready for Him today. Now I know that's a big statement, but I want to give you some examples. I believe the church of today or churches of today has become a den of thieves. It's become a place where unrepentant, um, active sinners can associate themselves with and hide. See where the church has gone today. I wonder if Jesus, and, and look, let me just say, I believe that where two or three gathers, he's there. Jesus is here, he's come, he sent his Holy Spirit. But if he physically have to walk into some churches, I wonder if he will throw over the, the tables and the chairs in some churches. It's a place of the unrepentant these days. Active sinners boasting about their sin, but they sit in a den of thieves. You see, I see so many places now where you know, churches has been replaced with coffee shops. So you, once you walk into a church, you walk through the coffee shop. Since when are we selling coffee to people coming into churches? We're making a profit out of the coffee too. And look, again, I said to, I said before, some of you is going to get mad at me. And if you've got a coffee shop in your church, by all means, you know, it's between you and God, but I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Since when are we now selling coffee for a profit to pay for the church? Or since when have we made open up kindergartens to make money to uphold the ministry in the church? Since when do we do radio stations or old age homes? And, you know, uh, since when do we do all kinds of businesses to support the churches financially? Since when? What is the task of the church? What, what, why did Jesus come and establish this church? Why? What for? What is the priorities of the church? In, in my mind and what I read in the Bible, it's to preach the gospel and then to teach about Jesus. This is what Paul said. This is what in Acts happened. They said, you continue on serving the tables to the deacons, but we will concentrate on prayer and on the word of God. But now we've got no more pastors and so on. We've got CEOs who runs businesses, which is called campuses. You know, since when has the church become a campus? Because within a campus, you've got all of these activities associated with campus life. 
And you've got to pay for that. You've got to pay for your coffee and for your muffin and for your cake. And everything has got a little bit of profit on there because we need to pay the staff and we need to pay something to the church. Since when? Is it maybe a case of wrong priorities? Since when is the poor have to come into church and can only drink a glass of water and not eat or drink anything that you, that you who are privileged by the grace of God can sit down and buy your expensive latte or mochaccino or whatever? Since when does people who can't even, you know what, that's struggling to put food on the table walk through your coffee shop through the coffee shop with the smell of coffee in the air into the place of worship to worship God. I'm telling you, your forecourt, the place for the Gentiles has been defiled and it needs to be cleansed. But again, I say, if you're mad at me at this point, God bless your heart. But the church's priority was never to indulge into these things. It was to preach the gospel, to teach the knowledge of Lord, of the Lord to the people, to care for the, the poor and for the widows. The same widow that have to walk through your coffee shop and buy your expensive things just to have a cup of coffee. But that's not the message. You see, Somebody said to me one day, and I stand on that. Listen very carefully. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And this preacher can tell you many, many testimonies about those words. So sadly, as Jesus says that the place has become a den of thieves, that place that was meant to be a prayer place for all the nations has become a place for money changers. So, he will suddenly come to his temple and he will suddenly come to you and to me. So, he will come to his temple to do what? And we see this playing out. He was coming to cleanse his temple. Again, let's go back to Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of His coming? That's a question. Who can endure the day of His coming? And he was talking about the coming of the... Remember, this was in the Old Testament. The last prophet in the Old Testament. It was pointing towards the coming of Jesus Christ, which we now have in the New Testament. The account of Jesus born through the Virgin. This is what he was talking about. And he was saying, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's, he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Two things. He's like a refiner's fire. What does that do? It cleanses. It purifies. And what is a launderer's soap? It cleanses. It purifies. So what did Jesus come to do when he walked that day into the temple? He came to clean the temple. He's coming back again. You will see. But he's cleansed the temple. You see, it is the same with you and with me when we got saved. 
Let me explain. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, you read, And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So what uh, Paul is saying to the church in Corinthians, he says, Our bodies is now the temple. Because the temple is no, no longer there. It's been destroyed. The temple that Jesus cleansed out that day with the inner courts and so on, it's no longer there. But now he says, do you not know that your body is now the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. So now it, it becomes really interesting. So we need to watch out that we don't make this body a den of thieves. That in this body we keep it as a house of prayer. And how do we do that? You see, Jesus came that day and it was prophesied that he came to cleanse the temple. Because when he appears, he's like a refiner's fire and he's like a launderer's soap. So how did it happen to you and me? Well, when the Lord saved us, because only he can. You know what he did? I read it in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, what happens? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You see the refiner's fire. The launderer's soap. He cleanses this temple. And there were so many, many things in my life that he had to clean. I mean, you talk to my family. You talk to my friends in school. They will tell you how dirty this temple was. And he took a good fire from the Lord to cleanse it. And a good soap from the launder, launderer's soap to cleanse it. But that's not all he did. That's not where the verse stops. He says, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And then he says, to, to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, it's a life living acceptable to God. How wonderful is it? So who is he blaming then? You know, when he walks through then he throws over these tables the people who were selling doves. Who, were he, who, who was he blaming that day? Well, he was blaming the priests. Again, let's quickly go back to Malachi 3, verse 3 now. He will sit at the refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Who were they? The priests. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. In righteousness. So there we have it, how the Lord has actually cleansed the, the, the temple. And we see that they had wrong priorities. They were just seeking after themselves. How about your life? You know, I gave you the scripture verse where Paul says that, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? How is your priorities? You know, are you seeking after Lord, the Lord? Are you prepared for Him if He comes? There's a lot, like myself, who believe in the rapture. Rapture can happen any moment. Are you ready to meet Him? Now. Are you ready to meet Him now? Or when you sit there and you think, oh, wait a minute, there's a few things I need to sort out before I can meet Him. Sort it out quickly. Because he's coming to his temple soon. He's coming. Now obviously when we end this passage now we see that the scribes and the chief priests when they heard that they wanted to destroy him. Why? Because the people feared him. Uh, for they feared because the people were astonished at his teaching. There will be those who will try to destroy this message and your message. 
But you know what? It is not our battle. It is the Lord's. So we will continue next time and finish in chapter 11. But for now, just think of this passage here. How the Lord walked in and He wanted the place to be a house of prayer. My friend, the best thing you can do is pray to God. Read your Bible every day. And do what you do. You know, listen to solid teaching messages. Because the Bible itself says for... Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the preaching of the word. May the Lord bless you. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Jesus came and he cleansed the temple. Thank you that you've cleansed our temple. Through your blood we are cleansed. Through the refiner's fire we are cleansed. And Father, we pray now, help us, Lord, to seek and to look at our priorities and to get them right as we await you in Jesus' name. Amen.